Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever you are. This is the Master's Voice. My name is Zettler Clayton Fourth, and I am sitting here with the Reverend Dr. Cecilia Taylor. How are you doing today? Just fine, Zettler, and you? I'm doing well. I'm doing great. great. Can't even complain. I want to get on into it. Um, we're in the closing legs of the Lenten season. Um, we, it's a lot of talk, a lot, a lot of um, carrying out of the path of Christ, in which Christ spent, you know, 40 days in the wilderness. And we all have our wilderness experience. And I um, wanted to just pick your brain a little bit today about, the, you know, the closing leg of it. You know, how do we take this period to add meaning into our lives? Well, Lent is a time of prayer, penitence. And during this time, it's also a time of preparation. Mm-hmm. So during this time, what we should be focusing on is our prayer life. That time spent in the wilderness, um, listening for a word from God. So that takes us into how we understand prayer. So before you go further, I want help me clarify this. Um, what is the difference between prayer and meditation? There is actually very little difference, mm-hmm. and the reason that. There's very little difference is that meditation is a form of prayer. Okay. People get this idea from just watching uh, or being around people who pray that prayer is really based on the Lord's Prayer and that's all there is to it. Right, right. It's a matter of speaking our petitions, our pleas, and our praise before God and rising and going our way but it's far more than that prayer is alone time with God sitting in meditation sitting in quiet uh, just listening for a word from God prayer can be actually repeating scripture over and over again Mm. so that God through the presence of the Holy Spirit can maybe lift something out for you to to spend more time contemplating on and and chewing over till you get exactly what God has for mm. you. You know, uh prayer is about listening. You know, we tend to think that prayer is a whole lot about talking. Right. Right. But it's also about listening. The the best way to understand prayer is that it's a conversation. Mm. So you speak to God, and as you meditate, for example, it gives you an ab- an opportunity to do what's necessary to listen for God. Mm-hmm. Is there a functional difference between prayer and concentration? Actually, probably not. Hmm. Uh, and you just have functional difference. Uh, you know what your purpose is going in right the intention yeah your intention sets the table but from a practical standpoint very little Hmm. and then that gets me into going down my path and i don't want to go down that rabbit hole (laughs) because it uh, is a rabbit hole that's for sure of the false dichotomy that we have between what is secular and sacred right you know Right. But uh, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> so during this moment of, of prayer and penitence and alone time, what are the biggest temptations, distractions that we encounter on this journey? During those times, you know, as you're going through your wilderness experience or even as you're spending time in prayer, 
just the distractions of everyday life. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where the actual ability to concentrate, to, to be disciplined, to know that, okay, something has caught my attention. Now let me bring myself back to why I'm here. Mm -hmm. uh, that's part of the discipline. Mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. uh, of prayer because we, we will wander. Things will get our attention. You know, you can, you can seclude yourself, you can cloister yourself, but still things will, will come in. You know, you, you find the great uh, monks and um, nuns uh, of the past will tell you the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just not, ability, not just the ability to sit there and concentrate and meditate and not have something interrupt you your breathing can even interrupt you right. uh, but you need to find a way to bring yourself back now what a lot of people do is that when they find themselves wandering especially if they're concentrating on scripture they choose a word that will bring them back right some yeah. call it mantras mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah and so uh there are ways, but you know you have to just be prepared. On this path, um, have you found yourself dealing with people who didn't understand what you're doing, and that would cause—I want to say—a rift in your relationship with some kind of misunderstandings? Like, because you know, when you want to spend more time alone, that's going—that's swimming against the current, because. We like to socialize. We like to get up and celebrate. We like to eat together. And, you know, during those times, that's kind of like those moments where people tend to kind of relapse. You know, maybe say, I'm not going to eat bread. And then they'll get up with their buddies and there's bread there. You know, I'm, I'm not going to take a sip. And they get up with their buddies and, you know, there's a sip to be had. And, you know, so, so to have this life of prayer, you have to spend time alone, as you said earlier. But spending time alone, separation from people. And, you know, people, from my experience, people tend to, you know, feel a little uneasy when you try to separate yourself because it's kind of like, well, you think you're better than us type thing. Or I just don't understand you. And they jump, they draw their own conclusions. You know, is that something similar that you have encountered in your life or do you see a lot of people encounter? Well, you know, it's really a matter of how you approach it. There is uh, a lot of value to doing a lot of the exercises, a lot of the work of your own spiritual development uh, alone mm -hmm. and um, making time for that and quietly doing that. Um, even scripture tells you, you know, when you fast, you, know, you don't have to let everybody know you fast and, right. and all of that's right. between you and God. That tends to be a bit more fulfilling because you're right, a lot of times people are intimidated by the fact that you're being so deliberate on your walk, on your mm -hmm. desire for, to have a closer connection with God. Now, to part two of your statement, that when you're with people and you've made a commitment to say, you know, I am not going to eat uh, anything made with white sugar, and you're in a social setting, and all you see <laughs> is stuff with white sugar, uh, and you're hungry, and you're very tempted. And it looks so good. And it looks so good. Then that's where your discipline comes in. You know, um, the ability to, to walk away from it. 
it's hard. That's what forgiveness is about. Right. You know, but you will reach a point the more you do it where you can do it and not much be made of it. You know, people will not even notice that you didn't eat any other stuff mm-hmm. made with white sugar on the table. You um, A couple questions before we close this out. You just said something that sparked a question. It's something I always ask myself growing up. Help me reconcile the relationship between grace and correction. Wow, now that's pretty heavy. Let me let me think about. Oh well, let me think about that for us just a second. Okay, because you know we grace. I got it. It really wasn't that hard. There's nothing. There's nothing that we can do um, to merit the grace that uh, God gives us. Or that we extend to one another. If you're actually being gracious to someone and extending grace, you want nothing. You're you're asking for nothing from them. You're all right with it. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't even have to receive it as grace. Right. Right. But it's you're not doing it for. The other part. You're not doing it for reward. That's so liberating yeah. when you can do something and give and not expect anything in return. No, no. And, and, and there's nothing that they can do to merit that grace. And, um, you know, it's nothing that you can require of them, mm-hmm. you know, in repayment for, for that grace, if it's true grace. Right. And that should be your, you know, your your standard when you use the word grace, you think of the grace um, extended to us on the life and death of Jesus Christ, uh, the work of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's nothing that we can do mm-hmm. to uh, to be worthy of that, and there's no way that we can repay that. Correction is a whole nother thing. Hmm. You know, correction is this is what you did this is what you should be doing you know and you see lessons upon lessons about that in biblical stories and you see forgiveness in play you know God saying prophets saying Jesus saying you know this is where you erred this is where you misstepped recognize it and move on just don't do it again do you consider grace to be a more powerful energy than correction? Is, or do they work in tandem? Like, how do you view those two things? Well, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you and recognizing that you're a father. And, right, and, right. That's exactly where I'm coming from with this. How do and, you correct without condemning? And how do you show grace without allowing, without enabling? There are things that, through the course of you raising your children, where you will extend them grace, and sure. they will be fully unaware of it. Right. They'll just know that, you know, my daddy loves me, and I can tell by this warm feeling or the way he accepted me, or as, as that old song goes, looks beyond my faults and saw my needs mm-hmm. in that moment. And uh, as time goes on, they'll realize that you were being gracious to them, mm-hmm. and that in those situations, sometimes the correction that you're talking about comes as a result 
of the grace. Um, but still, in rearing children, and even in being in the work environment, right. there are times when you have to say, this is the way it should be done, this is the way you did it. Uh, and I think we use a, a watered-down uh, version of grace when we say you can graciously tell somebody that. You don't have to be harsh in the way that right. you you do the correction. But it's not the same grace that I'm talking about. You know, It's a very important distinction yeah. that you just it, made there. Yeah, it's a matter of semantics, you know, and I think people get, you know, well, a theologian wouldn't do wouldn't get caught up in it, yeah, you know, yeah. wouldn't mistake it. But I think it's a common everyday practice to look at grace in that watered-down version and, and not what grace really and truly is. Yeah, this this topic probably deserves its own um, separate podcast, so we're going to keep it moving. And uh, Before we go, though, can you give us a few things to remember when we um, when the biggest temptations come our way and when we do stumble? The first thing is that the first and most important thing that I can think of right now is to remember that whenever you're tempted, whenever things seem as if they are awful and you're in your darkest moment, that you're not alone. That the God that created heaven and earth and created you is right there with you. God is with us 24-7, 365. We are never abandoned. If you can keep that in mind, it will strengthen you to handle whatever comes next and also to recognize that there are lessons, there are reasons for everything that occurs in our lives. And it's for the good. Even in your darkest moment, when you're going through something, it's just like crazy. You know, you're in your wilderness. You got, you know, to use the example that we deal with Jesus, you got beasts looking mm -hmm. at you like, oh, that looks like a good meal. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, God is there and there are lessons to be learned. And of course, the lesson in that wilderness experience is that God is near. And even though they look frightening, even though I am vulnerable, God's got me and no harm's going to become come of me so indeed indeed well this is the master's voice my name is Zetla Clay the fourth with Reverend Dr. Cecilia Taylor y'all take care God bless God bless